All right. School of Coin, episode number one, September 26th, 2021. Three, two, one. Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome to the Bitcoin Stoa. I'm Nick. And my name is Eddie. And this is our first of 21 episodes of a show called School of Coin. Uh, and today we're going to share our Bitcoin stories, our mission with School of Coin, and why we care about Bitcoin. And we made the decision not to put product sponsors in these shows so that we could prioritize the listening experience. Like one of the worst things for me is when you listen to a podcast and then they chop in, in right in the middle of a good point and do an ad for like sometimes random shit. So we're not going to put ads inside of the listening experience. Uh, we also wanted to ensure objectivity with our product reviews, which we're going to start uh, soon by recording, you know, about some of the software and hardware wallets that we currently use and love. And so the Bitcoin Stow is a community funded platform. So if you enjoy listening, you can support the project by sending some sats to the QR code at the homepage at the bitcoinstow.com. And yeah, let's get into it. So this episode was actually originally titled why you should care about Bitcoin. And after reading that a few times, I was like, that's kind of presumptuous, right? We can't tell people why they should care, but what we can do is share why we care and trust that a lot of people are going to be able to relate because a lot of the reasons why I care and um, why you care are sort of very relatable and common to a lot of people. And so let's dig into that. And I think a good place to start, uh, you know, I, I've always felt that storytelling is this very potent learning tool um, for humans that we've sort of forgotten about. And I think, you know, some of the most powerful experiences for me in Bitcoin and in other areas of my life are like when I hear a really good story from someone about a personal experience or about something that they've heard. And so, um, Eddie, why don't you kick us off and uh, start by sharing your Bitcoin story? You know, the, the when and the why um, of, of your Bitcoin journey. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Nick. Um, so I guess I guess I, I kind of want to back it up just a little bit and, and take it even a little bit further back into time. This is kind of way before. Um, this is actually funny is, is that when I put this date, uh, it kind of coincides with uh, when Satoshi Nakamoto was was probably working on Bitcoin. But this is back in 2008. Cool. And um it was kind of when I was in high school, really, it, it, uh, it was kind of a period of my life through high school and college where I, I kind of pushed things off uh, for the next day. And I, and I always kind of realized things a little bit too late, picked my major a little bit uh, too late. And, you know, this is all um, in hindsight. But I think, you know, in looking back in my life, I realized that I, I didn't really have a true passion and what I was really, I wasn't really being true to myself. And so, you know, after I graduated college, I kind of worked, you know, I worked hard. I worked through six different jobs, three different careers, but most of, most of the time I was really kind of feeling forced and feeling kind of pushing myself kind of through these jobs. Um, I would say a lot of the time I, I dreamt about not working and I dreamt about, you know, kind of also making it big, you know, working really hard and, and then earning that, that big corner office and that big, huge paycheck. Um, but, uh, you know, come 2020, uh, which was kind of a big shakeup for a lot of people's lives in, in the entire world. Um, I parted jobs with, uh, parted ways with my last job in August. And that kind of gave me a lot of time to do some soul searching with my partner. Uh, we went on a couple long road trips and I realized that one of my main goals in life is to be happy and healthy. Really. I mean, that's like my main goal in life is to be happy and healthy and 
I wasn't going to really get get there unless I kind of figured this money piece out. And it kind of always seemed like that was kind of burning inside, you know, because at, at the end of the day, you kind of always end up thinking about money. Um, and, and that kind of bothered me a little bit. And so I started to think about it a little bit more. And I, I realized, you know, you know, a couple of years back, um, my partner and I received a payment in, in Bitcoin. And uh, this was after the, the big 2017 bull market. And, you know, we kind of just hung on to it. I forgot about it. Um, and I didn't really, you know, have a lot of understanding of what it was. You know, we just kind of kept it um, in Coinbase actually. And um, it just kind of sat in there. And so I decided that with all this free time that I had to, to really start studying it. And uh, what do you know, like a few months later, um, I was like slowly dipping my toes into Austrian economics <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, really learn it, like actually passionately caring about mm. politics and the government, like, and what's going on in the world for the first time in my life. And I'm, I, you know, I just turned 30 years old. So this was a really important for me. And uh, so that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, you know, it's been about a year that I've been very interested in a Bitcoin. And I really, you know, a lot of the foundational values that Bitcoin holds, um, I, I, so they really resonate within myself. And one of them is just being uh, that Bitcoin is a uh, spreader of truth and uh, it is a it is a very powerful truth and it's something that um, I don't think I've ever seen before and it kind of gives me chills a little bit because you know with a lot of the things that are going on in today's world um, it's nice to know that there is a, a, a computer program that is uh, based upon uh, truth. And so I hope that kind of, you know, wraps, I wanted to wrap up my story, but really it's, it's uh, Bitcoin means so much to me because it's, it's given me an opportunity to reevaluate my life and, and really understand what's uh, important for me. Very cool. I love it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I, and it's funny how, when you went through that process of sort of reevaluating your life and figuring out like, what do I actually want to do? Where do I want to go? How you came to money. And <laughs> I think that just reinforces that like money is this base layer language that affects us all. And, you know, you also said something else where you're like, it always seems to be something that comes up or that I'm thinking of. And I think, I think that's only the case because of the deficiencies of current money where like you have no choice, but to think about it regularly because it, it, for a lot of people, it's a source of stress or a source of anxiety. And I think that uncertainty comes from the fact that um, the money we use isn't certain, right? Like there's uncertainty built into the money. There's random people making decisions that affect us all. And so, um, yeah, it's <laughs> when you go into Austrian economics, you've entered the unending rabbit hole that is Bitcoin. And, you know, it's like you, you almost like get brought to understanding the metaverse through Bitcoin because it's, <laughs> it's so it's such a powerful lens to look at the world through. Um, and yeah, I think sharing our Bitcoin stories is, you know, you and I are going to be going through these 21 episodes. Um, and I think it's important that people sort of know where we're coming from and who we are a little bit, you know, not too much, but a little bit in order for them to kind of relate to what we're saying and maybe be interested in what, in what we have to say. So, um, my Bitcoin story is sort of like, you know, I think of it as like a three phase journey. Um, the first phase was in 2014 when I was practicing as a physio and I had a this patient who was a computer programmer and every single time I saw him, he would not stop talking about Bitcoin. And so eventually I just gave in. I'm like, oh, dude, okay, fine. I'll buy a Bitcoin. And I didn't know what it was, but 
this was in, I think it was about 140 bucks is what I bought that coin for. And looking back that annoying patient, I'm like very grateful for him because it's like right. led me down a path that put me in a completely different life. Uh, so that was like phase one, phase two, I got, I went really deep into Bitcoin. I don't know what stimulated it, but it was around 2016. And after six months of just like literally going into a black hole and learning as much as I could about it, I actually pitched a Bitcoin fund to close friends and, and family members. And I think the price was about 1500 bucks at that point, but it ended up not um, happening because the interest wasn't high enough. And I really, I remember this significantly because I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I couldn't overcome the problem of what happens if I get hit by a bus? Like no one else has the literacy of understanding key management. I'm the holder of all this. If I get hit by a bus, it's going to disappoint a lot of people, right? This is like before I knew anything about multi-sig and, um, anyway, after I understood that that wasn't moving ahead, I really started accumulating like every one to two weeks, I would have a ritual of going to see my local Bitcoin guys, the uh, exchange that was just like this small exchange in Ottawa. And it was almost like a ritual of just chatting, going to find people to talk about Bitcoin with. Um, and that was, that was phase two. And then phase three, which really kind of pushed me into fully fledged Bitcoin obsession of trying to understand as much as I could was in early uh, 2021. And it was like a two, two month deep dive into Bitcoin that was stimulated by an urgent problem I now had to solve. And, you know, as the main capital allocator for TFC, uh, for this company that I, I was leading, uh, I'm the steward for company resources. And it hit me that we have these cash reserves that are essentially this melting ice cube, um, melting really fast. And that was after I realized that Jan 20 to 21, the Canadian M2 money supply increased by 18 and a half percent. So effectively, whatever our cash reserves were that were sitting there, we didn't have any immediate projects to put them into, were being, someone was stealing 18.5% a year or stole 18.5% of that. And I was like, well, we got to put this into something. So I, literally for 60 days, for almost eight hours a day, I listened to everything Michael Saylor had online and basically ended up executing a strategy to create a Bitcoin endowment for TFC's treasury uh, resources. And you know, I felt so calm after that because it was like this massive problem that I had no idea what to do about was solved. Um, and then the big kicking point for me, like really wanted to put my life energy into Bitcoin was when I watched uh, Jack Mahler's announce the El Salvador announcement at uh, the March Bitcoin conference. And so that was sort of the impetus for me to unwind my role as CEO of TFC and transition over to putting all my energy into the Bitcoin space starting in 2022. And um Eddie and I know each other through TFC. Uh, we're kind of a part of a core group of humans who just take radical responsibility for their health called foot nerds. And so this project is, or this podcast rather, is the first major project. So that's kind of my story. It's a, you know, it ebbs and flows and it's a, a long-term story, but I figured that it's good for people to understand sort of the process of how we get to where we are. And um, I'm just as fascinated as Bitcoin uh, about Bitcoin today as I was like, six years ago. So it's like, I just love learning. And this is like an unlimited outlet to constantly learn. And that's what really fascinates me. And also the more you learn about it, the more you realize like this truly can and will uh, change the world we live in. And, um, you know, I was the annoying family member that brought up Bitcoin at every other family dinner. And it's so funny because you can almost get a pulse on where Bitcoin is in global awareness based on people actually being interested in having a conversation or saying, oh, 
why are you bringing Bitcoin up again? Should we ban Nick from bringing up Bitcoin at family <laughs> dinners? <laughs> and so, and it's funny because now a lot of people are like, okay, tell me about that Bitcoin. What were you saying all the, what were you saying before? So yeah. it's just funny how people's interest kind of goes up and down. But at the end of the day, more people are wanting to talk about this. And so that kind of gets me really stoked. Um, yeah. yeah. I think, uh, and just real quick too, one thing that just kind of came up to my mind is that, uh, you know, in a previous podcast that you had done with Ruth uh, on Bitcoin, you had mentioned, you know, one one way to talk about Bitcoin with other people is really to just kind of gauge um, what they understand of it. And uh, I kind of took took away quite a bit uh from what you said about that you know into my own philosophy um because like i said i i haven't really um done too much um uh, evangelism uh, i'd like to call it on bitcoin and it's something that i i feel like i should be doing and uh, so this opportunity is excellent but it also is a great idea to um you know kind of identify where people are at and and, yeah. and that's an important point that that you kind of mentioned yeah. And I think, um, you know, like the space I'm in right now is for this heart of Hittenberg local community project where we just help people with their health in a very informal way. But another thing I'm going to be doing out of the space initially is offering services as a Bitcoin advisor and, you know, like what the hell is a Bitcoin advisor and my take on that or, or the way I define that role is someone who helps people understand, acquire and confidently self-custody Bitcoin. And so whether it's a business or just someone who's curious you know, they basically come in, chat with me for 45 minutes. They pay what they think it's worth. It's like a sliding scale kind of thing. And it's, um, it's a great opportunity for me because I get to understand what, what are the good questions out there about Bitcoin, right? Like where are people's information gaps? And one of the, you know, I was like, okay, if I'm going to be offering this as a service and trying to give value, I need to have some sort of protocol that I go through, like a system for how do I actually start these conversations? And the thing I kept coming back to was like, step one is actually to ask them questions to determine where their current understanding is. So I'm not speaking beyond their understanding. And so that I can know where to point them to get resources. Cause I don't want people come to see me to learn about Bitcoin. I want people come to see me to sort of get clarity on where they need to go in terms of learning. And so that kind of brings us to the next point is like, what is the mission of School of Coin? Like we're going to have multiple shows at the STOA and I'm going to record um, just something brief talking about like, what is the Bitcoin STOA? Why was it created? What is the intention? What is the ethos of the Bitcoin STOA? So I'll record something about that. But I think in terms of just the show School of Coin, it's to create a really powerful education on-ramp for those who are curious about Bitcoin to sort of help them gain the confidence needed to acquire and self-custody Bitcoin. Uh, you know, I want, I hope that this can be something my mom can listen to and that covers all the essentials without being too technical and gives her a feeling that, yeah, like I can actually do this. This is possible. And so that's the intention of school of coin is a really good learning on ramp, you know, something I wish I would have had instead of that computer, uh, <laughs> computer science patient that I had just saying like, look into Bitcoin, look into Bitcoin. And part of my hesitancy was like, I don't know how to look into Bitcoin because the internet's a crazy place. And so, you know, one of the things I'd like to do as part of School of Coin between you and I and, and other people we speak to is create learning protocols. So basically the way I'm thinking about it is like level one to five, level one is a complete noob, has heard of Bitcoin, knows nothing else. All the way to level five, which is like someone with intermediate understanding. And for each protocol, we'll create a web page and each protocol will have a book, a video, 
an article and a podcast. So four medium types um, based on that level. So level one will be the simplest things. Level five will be more advanced and sort of lead people through their own learning journey. Like apart from school of coin is like, um, where do you go as someone who knows nothing? Someone knows a little bit, you know, like create a, create a, a path, right? Bitcoin is like this big intimidating mountain. If we create a path and guide people in the right direction, I think, um, I think that is much needed. And so, you know, we're going to be having conversations with other people. We can sort of ask them, especially the people who have a deep understanding of Bitcoin. What's your favorite book for a newbie? What's your favorite podcast? And so it'll be good to kind of crowdsource that information and compile it uh, into these into these learning protocols. Um, so I'm pretty stoked about that. Let's go to the core topic of this first episode, which is, you know, why we care about Bitcoin. And I, I kind of sent over a skeleton and this is available at bitcoinstoa.com. If you click on podcast school of coin, why we care about Bitcoin, you'll see a, a show detail and this framework's there. And eventually over time, we'll have some really good show notes with resources. But for right now, it's just a, a kind of description framework of what we cover. But why don't we run through that um, and sort of give our take on reasons that we care about Bitcoin. So even aside from the, the, um, the topic list I sent you, Eddie, if someone said, why do you care about Bitcoin? Um, just off the cuff, what would, be, what would be your first response to that? I would say I care about Bitcoin because I care about being a sovereign individual. And then they would probably say, well, what is a sovereign individual to me? <laughs> yes. And I would that's say- That's what I was gonna ask. <laughs> and I would say, well, uh, you know, that's a person who has taken full responsibility for themselves. And that could be anything from, uh, you know, their health to their finances um, to, you know, essentially anything that we are dependent on society um, or a professional for. Um, but really, that's my, my main uh, reason off the cuff. <laughs> I think that's really powerful. That's a really good reason, first of all, because it encapsulates so much. And I think it, it resonates a lot with me. And from what I see on Bitcoin Twitter, it sounds like it would probably resonate with a lot of people on a lot of Bitcoiners out there who want to be sovereign, who want to, uh, I think what you said, what responsibility is a term that's underused. And like you said, regardless of whether it's for your health or for your finances or uh, for how you behave, um, I think just taking responsibility requires a level of self-awareness. also requires a level of understanding, right? Um, I love breaking down responsibility into response able. In order to respond to a situation, you need to have some basic understanding of how to respond, right? And I think, um, I think it's almost impossible for people to take responsibility for their financial health uh, within a system that disables responsibility, right? That, that enable that promotes dependency. Uh, same thing with health, right? Like medicine is um, a well-intentioned institution that uh, takes away people's responsibility to actually do things themselves with their health, right? As inherently, it says, come to us, we fix you. And that's like very disempowering, I would say. Um, so that was, that was a really freaking good answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first thing that comes to mind with me, you know, from a selfish standpoint of why I care about Bitcoin is, uh, wealth preservation, right? Like you spend, you give your time to earn money, right? Like money is like, uh, I think it was Ross Stevens who said it like money is titled to human time. You, ex you do this exchange where I will give my time and energy 
um, to the world, to someone who finds value from that. And in return, I get money. And that is the unit of account I use to represent the energy I gave. And, you know, I think it's a human right to be able to use a kind of money that preserves that time that you just sacrificed, right? Like if I give my time in return for this thing, I don't want that thing to become worth less over time. I don't want that thing to be arbitrarily diluted by some person in power that can just do things that affect us all. And so wealth preservation to me means making sure that that thing I received from my unit of time maintains its ability to buy me the things I want in future. Um, and more importantly, not just buy things, but actually maintain my purchasing power so that I don't have to constantly keep working harder in order to live the kind of life I want to live, right? If I peg my lifestyle um, and that unit of account holds its value, then I can live that lifestyle with the level of work I'm doing and keep going sustainably. But if that money is getting diluted over time and I peg my lifestyle, I have to constantly work incrementally harder and harder because what I'm earning is worth less and less. And so selfishly for myself and my family, I want to be able to preserve whatever wealth or whatever money I'm earning from my time. And I don't think that should be too much to ask for. And so like my biggest reason is like, I want to be able to maintain my purchasing power over time with the money I use. Fiat doesn't do that for me in Canada or for any central uh, currency that's constantly being printed and where our value is constantly shrinking. Um, but Bitcoin does that, right? Bitcoin preserves my wealth. If I earn money and I switch it to Bitcoin, I've locked in that value. And in fact, because fiat money, which is like a shit coin in my opinion, um, is losing its purchasing power, I'm actually increasing my purchasing power. So I have to work less over time, which is kind of cool. So for me, it's like wealth preservation is a big one. I want to keep what I earn. Um, I don't want to use money that steals from me. And I don't want my family members to use money that steals from them, regardless of whether they understand how it's stealing from them or not. So, so yeah, I think that's a good first one. And a second one, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, I, I personally care about Bitcoin because it's basically the way I vote for a fair monetary system. What are your thoughts when, um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that that is a, I was actually thinking about that earlier this morning and um, I was like thinking, well, you know, what, what are some of the ways that we can, we can vote um, mm. for a fair monetary system like in the world today? And um, yeah, one of the easiest things is just to, to participate in the Bitcoin network. And, you know, by participating, you are kind of voting uh, yeah. for this system. And so I think that's like kind of the first thing that comes to my mind, um, uh, you know, in terms of that. And and uh, sorry, I was just kind of uh, looking at some notes on on different monetary systems just because we were kind of talking about fiat mm -hmm. a little bit. And uh, I know that we can kind of dig into that in a second. But. Sure. Yeah. I d it's so frustrating. Um, like the more you understand, I think it's really sneaky that we'd never learn about money in school. <laughs> I, 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 my hope is that it's not intentional to reduce financial literacy, but at the same time, it's like, well, it's pretty obvious that we learn absolutely nothing about something that is maybe the most important, like every money affects everyone, affects every relationship, affects every human. It's part of our, it's the base language that we speak in society and yet we learn nothing about it. And so you know, my take is that the two most powerful voting methods that we have as humans uh, are our money and our feet. What I mean by feet is like you can literally move to a place um, 
you can move, you can switch locations and that's like a vote for where you want to be. Residency. Exactly. But I think our money, you know, whether it's like, if you want to vote on what kind of food you think should be available, buy the kind of food you think should be available. Don't buy the kind of food you don't think should be available. Like that's a really powerful vote. And I think when it comes to voting on a fair monetary system, um, we've never had the chance to vote on our monetary system before, right? Like I'm born in Canada. I am forced to use Canadian dollars. I didn't get to choose what monetary system I used for a long time. And, you know, by voting for Bitcoin, you're by opting into Bitcoin, you're opting out of fiat um, and you're voting against wealth erosion, in my opinion. And so, you know, the values of whatever monetary system we use end up being the values that embedded themselves into society. So if we have corrupt, uh, unfair money, then our society is inevitably going to have corruption and unfairness built into it. And so, you know, to me, voting for a fair monetary system, voting for Bitcoin, and in a future episode, we can talk about how is Bitcoin a fair monetary system. But just to say kind of um, more shallow in this episode is like, Voting for Bitcoin is signaling that you value equality, uh, equality of opportunity, uh, signals that you value property rights and basic human rights. It signals that you value privacy, transparency. I think overall, just a more honest world for me is like a f- voting on Bitcoin by opting into the network is voting on a more honest, fair, transparent world. And uh, that's some pretty heavy shit, in my opinion, and <laughs> something I can be like, yeah, I feel good about that. <laughs> yeah, one thing I'll just kind of hit on too that on a more personal level really is that like when I have engaged in conversations about Bitcoin um, or money in general uh, with other people, uh, you know, but I can try to like refocus it just on myself. Like when I talk about money, there are times when I get triggered and mm. it's like, hmm. You know, why, why is it that, um, you know, money is something that, uh, you know, can make me upset or bother me and things like that. And I think it's a great point that uh, you said, Nick, is that we, you know, we're all kind of born into this world. We've never had an opportunity to vote on our monetary system. But uh, I think that, you know, if something that is so essential to life, uh, as in money, um, if, if it creates this bitterness inside of uh, you, like it did myself, um, then I think it's essential to think about. Yeah. And I think it's essential to uh, take a, take a step back and say, okay, well, you know, what is going on? And uh, you know, how can I, how can I make a difference in, in my life? And uh, you know, I think by doing that, you know um, I didn't realize the power that it had and, uh, you know, by changing your life, uh, I, uh, there's a book that, uh, keeps coming up, uh, in my mind that I want to quote and I'll just do it now, but, um, new old way. Mm. And, uh, it's just been this, this fascinating book for me, um, that I've related to on so many different levels, but one of them, uh, being is just the idea of activism and the importance of like changing the world by changing yourself and then expressing that change and being that change. And so um, I think that, you know, I just kind of wanted to hit on that uh, as far as, you know, being able to, um, you know, kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel and that, you know, we are in this system uh, that, that, uh, does make you dependent on it, but there are many different options to opt out. And, uh, you know, it's an amazing time to, 
to be alive right now because you know we have uh, these opportunities and we have Bitcoin. Yeah, very well said. Frank Forensich, New Old Way, great book. That's part of the Footner program core reading. And it's like that that's <laughs> that book will melt your face first time yeah. you read it because you're like, shit, this guy this guy's got some serious wisdom. That's and I think it. one thing, you know, one thing that came to me as you were talking there was um a conversation I had with a family member once where I talked about like no, they just didn't, they were not having the talk about money. They're like, I use money every day. It's fine. I don't want to talk about it. And it was almost like interesting because they, they said it like they were kind of upset and things that aren't very meaningful don't make you upset. And so, like you said, like money almost like triggered them. It's like they, they were resisting the desire or resisting the push that I was kind of giving them to take responsibility for the money they use. And it was almost, you know, the way I put it is like, okay, listen, I'll just say one thing it's important for us to vote on things, right? It's that's our voice to say like, what kind of world we want to live in. When it comes to the money system, when you're born, your voting ballot card is filled in automatically for you. You have no ability to vote. And for a long time, you haven't had the ability to vote. There's been one check mark, one box to check on the voting card in Canada on what kind of money you want to use. And so by not thinking or diving deeply or understanding your money, you're essentially doing that automated vote. What I want people to know is that there's an uh, there's another box now, right? Like there hasn't been before, and so it's it's um, understandable to accept that it's like, well, I only have one choice. Duh, I live in this country. Right. Maybe I get U.S. dollars if I want to go on a trip or whatever. But now there's another box, and by voting on your money, you're voting on the base layer communication of the planet, literally, because now we have a global money. We have a money that has a value set built in that cannot be corrupted and that cannot be stopped. <laughs> and that is way more secure and that preserves your wealth. Like, are you interested at all? Because that seems like something you should be interested in. Maybe I'm biased, but it's just like making sure people know there's another box you can tick to vote and that that vote carries way more significance than just what you're keeping in your wallet, right? It has deeper significance for people personally that uh, they might not even realize the problems of the money they're using right now. Um, but it has deeper significance around the world, right? In terms of like, do you care about access to basic financial services for everyone on planet earth? Well, if you do, then voting for Bitcoin is the way that you signal that. Um, and you've never even been able to vote on that issue before, but now this opens this up. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Um, and, you know, Every time I get shut down or people are like, oh, I don't want to talk about Bitcoin. You know, I try and figure out what's the, what's the way in. Because what one lesson I've learned is that you cannot teach Bitcoin to someone who's not curious about Bitcoin. And so, um, you know, School of Coin is really, if someone's curious about Bitcoin, that is literally the only thing needed for them to be sort of our target audience for School of Coin. It's like, if you're curious, well, hopefully we can put your attention um, to good use. Right. It's like, I think on this podcast, we should really treat atten human attention as sacred, where it's like, we don't want to waste your time. We want to give the most relevant information as concisely and clearly as possible. Um, and to me, that's some meaningful stuff. So thank you for being part of the study. Yeah, 100%. And, and just to kind of wrap that up, I would say, you know, to any of you out there that, um, you know, maybe do resonate with uh, that feeling, maybe, you, you know, you uh, you don't like thinking about money and, and uh, that's okay. But um, if you are curious and you do want to completely revolutionize the way that you think about money um, and the way that you understand it, then uh, learn about Bitcoin. This is a great opportunity for you to um, understand the history of money. And uh, like Nick said, uh, there is another option now. 
and there is another box and it's colored orange and um it's a you know, damn good box to vote. Yeah. <laughs> and we're exactly. going to be doing, I mean, in School of Coin, there's going to be an episode of what is money. And I think that should actually come before what is Bitcoin. So we'll do an episode on what is money, what is Bitcoin. And we'll go through all the things so that from like the very beginning, like this episode is really just like to share why we care about it, maybe get you interested that this is something more relevant and maybe tangible and um, doable to learn about. And uh, from there, we'll just kind of create the pathways in different directions. Um, you know, the what is money episode will really be very first principles oriented. Like what are the, the properties of good money? Like what makes good money? Um, because before you understand, I think the fundamental problem with people wanting to understand Bitcoin is that hierarchically, you must first understand money so that you can even have a context for why Bitcoin matters, right? And most people know so little about money that like that's a starting point. So I'm excited for that episode. I've been listening to a lot of Parker Lewis um, and a lot of really smart humans that are just talking about like, let's talk about what money is from a very basic level, like that a 10 year old can understand. And it's shocking how much I've learned about money that I didn't know that really I should know. Um, so yeah, I think the education system is dropping the ball on that, but <laughs> that's okay. Now the computer <laughs> is the education system. So we're putting out a better curriculum. <laughs> um, let's talk about financial privacy. Cause I think this is something that I didn't think about for a long time. And when I started to do a deep dive into it and we'll do a whole episode about privacy at some point. Um, but I think that, you know, to me, and this is, I think, taken from the Cypherpunks manifesto, privacy is the ability to selectively reveal yourself to the world, to determine what information you choose to put out to the world and keep private what you deem not something you want to put out into the world. Um, and, you know, I think privacy is a, a fundamental human right and is necessary for an op open, honest society that, ref that respects individual rights and freedoms. And you know, to me, voting for Bitcoin means voting that you think financial privacy is important and it's opting out of fiat, which essentially is a tool for complete financial surveillance. And for a long time, I didn't really think much of financial surveillance and what that means. But when I realized that every time you use your debit card, your credit card, your bank account, every transaction is made completely available to, to your government and every government in the world, which is like super creepy. And by seeing your transactions, they can see your location, they can see your purchasing preferences, they can probably deduce your political preferences. And so being able to see your finances with full transparency is effectively being able to see your entire life. And that's a lot of power to wield and inevitably it gets abused. And so, you know, the notion that we can't expect governments to willingly grant us our privacy um, is met with Bitcoin, which gives each person the ultimate tool to defend their privacy, which is encryption. And so, you know, when someone says financial privacy, uh, what's your take on, you know, what that means to you personally at whatever level and how you feel Bitcoin sort of solves that problem and enables it for everyone? Yeah, um, definitely. What does financial privacy mean to me? I think that you kind of hit it on the head, Nick, is, uh, you know, being able to uh, willingly choose to identify or not identify, you know, who, who you are and, and, you know, it, the ability that, that you have with encryption is very nice, but, you know, I would say that I don't even really understand it as fully and as deeply as I want to. And so like, what does financial privacy mean to me? You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty normal guy. 
Um, you know, I go to the grocery store, I buy groceries, I have a gym membership. Um, you know, I have a Spotify. What, what, uh, what is there for me to hide? Why do I need, why do I not want the government to know that I have a Spotify account or what groceries I buy? Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I think that I kind of struggled with that question a lot um, myself. And I think a lot of other people do too, but I think that the ability to live your life without, you know, this third party manipulation. And like yeah. you said, that is a lot of power to, to just, you know, it's a lot of data and it's a lot of power to yield. And, um, you know, uh, the way that the world is nowadays, uh, we, we see it, we see it being used. I mean, we see things being tailored to us. Sure. And uh, I think that a lot of people are, are waking up about that. But I think that's kind of my take on privacy is that I'm, I'm starting to take it a lot more serious because um, I'm, I'm starting to realize the implications on it. And uh, even from, you know, being a quote unquote, you know, normal person, you know, that, you know, I've got nothing mm -hmm. to hide kind of mentality. Yeah. And I think that that is actually the argument that governments will use um, to enable their, their financial surveillance will be like, well, if people have privacy, they're going to be doing bad things. We need to find the bad people. And you know, what they don't talk about is like real life scenarios where financial privacy is actually really important from the standpoint of being able to hold your government accountable. And I don't see it in my life. Cause like, I'm the same as you. It's like, I don't care if the government knows what groceries I buy or what websites I go to um, or what products I buy, but you know, if you're in Tokyo and you buy a train ticket with your debit card, uh, and then you get thrown in jail for taking that train to go to a protest, um, that, that becomes way more relevant, right? Like, our, or if I send money to, um, WikiLeaks to investigate and hold people accountable, and then I get, uh, punished for sending money to an organization, which is discovering truth, but that's, inconvenient for the government that, um, I work within the bounds of, like, I, I don't think we have enough examples to really value financial privacy right now in our lives. Like we're, we're, we're like the 1% of the 1% on planet earth, right? Like we have access to full financial services. We live under like pretty comfortable, uh, governments. I'm going to say comfortable, like in quotation marks. Um, but that's not the case for everyone in the world. And I, you know, I hope we don't have more obvious reasons for why financial privacy is important, but I fear that we probably will in future, right? Like if the government wanted to target everyone who um, owns Bitcoin or wanted to like crack down on taxing everyone's Bitcoin, um, I don't think they should have the right to know exactly where I bought, how much I bought, you know, like that's kind of my business, right? Um, and, and wanting, pri I think the big thing to get across here is like wanting privacy is, does not mean you have something to hide. It simply means that you feel that it's a basic human right to determine how much of yourself you reveal. Just like I don't have to tell people like my health status or my like what medical procedures I'm having done. Although right now that's in question. Um, I shouldn't have to tell the government everything about what I do with my life. And they should not wield the power to be able to fully know everything about me at all times. I think that's just a, it's too big of a power asymmetry. And by giving them that much control, uh, it allows them to do things maybe they shouldn't do because they can, right? Whereas if privacy was really vouched for, they wouldn't have as much power over everyone. And 
Um, I think that's a good check rein for the government. So, so yeah, financial privacy by voting for Bitcoin, by, by opting into the network, you are saying that financial privacy is important for you and for anyone around the world who that might be a lot more relevant for. Um, next up is talking about sort of how, you know, why do we care about Bitcoin? Well, because fiat money is, you know, at least in the way I've started to view it is the root cause of a lot of today's big problems. Right. And like, the three big problems that are always in my mind are the governance, governance problem. So how we do politics, that's a big problem. The health problem and the education problem. And, uh, you know, if I've really started to, and one of the shows we're going to do for at the Bitcoin store is Bitcoin fixes this. And in school of coin, um, Eddie and I are going to lead off that show with Bitcoin fixes this applied to health. Cause we both, um, actually met each other through the Avenue of health. And I've sort of developed a deeper understanding of like, what are the factors that contribute to the health problem? And all roads lead to the fact that corrupt money and broken money is a huge root cause of the health problem. Um, and so, you know, what are your thoughts when, when, when that sentence gets said, you know, fiat money is the root cause of, t- of today's big problems. You know, what are ways that you see that being an accurate statement? And what are your thoughts on that statement, period? Yeah, um, it's a, it's an incredibly powerful statement, and it's something that um, I had kind of connected the dots to um, late, very late in 2020, probably in December. I was I remember I was listening to a podcast uh, by Preston Pish, who I really like to listen to um, for uh, his his perspective on investing and, and the macro global economy. But um, I remember him doing an episode talking about, you know, kind of the history of money, and then really kind of digging into fiat, and then kind of digging in a little bit further into the correlation between the year 1971, when Mm. the United States went off the gold standard. um, And the correlation, you know, at that point in time in history, um, to today and just the, you know, correlation does not equal causation, but it is very alarming when you see the rates of divorces and, you know, all these different um, health issues and just like overall general unease, like that general anxiety, I feel like, you know, um, is, is much more of a thing. I mean, today in today's day and age. And so, like realize inequality too, I think is like, that's a, that's like one of the biggest factors that creates social unrest and the wealth inequality since 1971 has been like, it's pretty shocking. Yeah. And, and, and really just to, to realize how, how that has such a, a big effect on, you know, I mean, money is our valuation system. It's how we value life. And uh, to manipulate that system is to manipulate our valuation system. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in essence, the, the idea that I was kind of getting at is that, you know, by manipulating our valuation system, uh, we as humans don't know how to value life anymore. And, uh, you know, we, we are having these, uh, you know, I would say even uh, mental, you know, um, struggles and, and problems now that, that, you know, we didn't have in the past, um, maybe. So I think it's a really deep connection with a lot of society's problems. And, and it's really interesting to, to start to explore those ideas. Yeah. And I think the, the whole show Bitcoin fixes this, 
um, each show will address one topic. So like the first episode of Bitcoin fixes this will be health. Um, but you know, there's, you can literally switch out health for so many different things. Uh, and so we'll go, whether it's like big things like health or even like small things like uh, remittance submission or um, sending remittances, like how does Bitcoin fix these things? And I think um, the assumption that Bitcoin fixes it means that the current system is actually causing it, right? Like if Bitcoin can fix something and it's a new monetary system, then the current monetary system is actually a root cause of that thing that Bitcoin fixes, right? And so... Yeah, I just think that, you know, I saw it firsthand with health. It's like, why am I working so hard to convince the most lucky humans on planet Earth, like the 1% of the 1%, people who live in comfortable places, like in Canada, the United States, Australia, why am I working so hard to convince people who are the luckiest on Earth to take care of themselves? Like they have the means and they're literally not doing it. And why do I have to work so hard to convince them to take care of themselves? It's because there's this perverse, deeply perverse incentives embedded into society driven by fiat money, such that things that are attacking health or go counter to health have so much power, uh, have so much, they just, everything is manipulated. Like you said, like if, if shit food that does nothing to your, to, to nourish your body is insanely cheap and made to be unbelievably delicious that it hacks our human biology. Um, and we're not pricing the externality of health into the cost of that food, then there's something broken with the way we price things. Right. And so, you know, and that can, and so like, I just started losing faith that like, okay, well, we're working to like TFC's mission is to give people back responsibility for their health to help them understand how to take care of themselves. And it's like that mission is being subverted um, by money, right? Like I saw it recently where it's like, you know, COVID was a beautiful opportunity for our government to focus on health. And yet it was used as an opportunity to do a full on assault on health where like nothing was talked about, about health. And all, all it was, was fear. And you need to do this. And we're shutting everyone down. We're taking away your livelihood. It's like, that's caused by money. The only reason they have the power to do that and to enforce all this bullshit is because they have unlimited amounts of money because they can print it whenever they want. So the whole notion of the fiat system underlies all of our societal problems makes sense when you look at the monetary system as this base foundational uh, language that we use in society. And so if it's broken, it's really hard to fix anything else above it because it's just a shit foundation. So I'm excited to dive deeper with you about that, about health, and then on future episodes as well. Last uh, point, or two, two more points of why we care about Bitcoin. Um, and at the end of this, feel free to add anything you want, because um, I kind of, you know, we chatted briefly about this, but um, if you have anything in mind that isn't on here, feel free to mention it. The next one is uh, just the benefit, and I thought about this the other day, the benefits of being an early adopter, right? So like right now, we are incredibly early to this new monetary system. Like we're what, 12 years in, 12 years, 13 years? 13 years in, uh, and we're super early, right? Like this is going to take a long time to take hold. There's only like a small, small fraction of humans on planet earth, um, that can use this, that are using it. Right. So we're very early. And if you're early to a revolutionary technology, there's a huge upside potential. And what that inevitably provides is, is in terms of monetary system is a head start on the rest of the world in terms of understanding the future of money, in terms of participating at an early level. It's kind of like like the analogy I had the other day was 
I want to talk to my family and friends about this because it's like I have this, this secret that not a lot of people know yet. Uh, anyone can know, but very few people are willing to learn about it of this like new tech startup, which is global. It's going to be the most powerful network um, on the on planet earth. And we all have access to the seed round of funding of supporting this network. Um, and if you're early in a seed round for a revolutionary tech startup, you tend to make a good amount of money. You tend to be able to increase your wealth, right? And multiply your wealth. And I, I want that for my friends and family. I want them to be able to get off the Ferris wheel of constantly having to work harder and harder to earn less and less. And so, you know, the benefits of being an early adopter with this are, is like a big reason I care at this point, this early on, uh, because I want to help as many people as I can unshackle themselves from the need to constantly work. Uh, and obviously that's not the, you know, there's many other things that contribute to the need to constantly work, like paying for shit that you may not need or whatever it may be. But uh, what are your thoughts on sort of the benefit of being an early adopter with this, this movement? And um, at this crazy time, that's like pretty unique because we're so yeah. early. Yeah. I love what you said there, Nick. It just kind of made me um, think about, uh, well, first, yeah, I guess first I have a couple analogies that I like to, that I personally like to think about. Um, and I kind of tell my friends um, as far as the benefit of being an early adopter, it's like, think about, uh, you know, being able to purchase some real estate in New York city in the 1800s. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, buy like a crap ton of websites uh, and domain names in the 90s. And, uh, you know, it's like it's like this opportunity that um, but it's much bigger than that. And that's right. that's what is I, I still am not realizing. And every day I realize more. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's really kind of uh, mind blowing because, um, you know, the benefit of being an early adopter, it's like where Bitcoin is right now, um, like you said, Nick, we're so early uh, because uh, there are some corporations that are still valued at, at a higher, you know, market cap uh, than Bitcoin. And for, you know, a technology that is so revolutionary, such as Bitcoin, um, which has never, you know, been around in human history before um, to be valued as the same as as a as a as a, an organization or a corporation, it's like you, you just you re, you just know that uh, we're so it. early. Yeah. And um, and like yeah, Bitcoin's just, more influential will be more important than Apple. Yet Apple is currently worth more than Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's really crazy to think about. And uh, and as far as you know, one thing that just kind of comes to mind is like the benefit of being an early adopter is that like if um, you know one thing that a lot of people ask me is, you know, well, what about the people that don't have a lot of money? You know, I mean, like myself, I mean, I, I didn't have any savings, um, you know, at, at, at um, a point in my life. And, and I was able, you know, fortunately to move over my savings over into Bitcoin, which, which helped me out. But, you know, where we're at now in history is, is, is basically the largest wealth transfer and and that that people will ever see so regardless of of what type of money you have i think that if you value saving for the future that buying a little bit of bitcoin is is possibly a great idea because 
we're so early and just because you can participate in that huge transfer of wealth. And, uh, you know, I mean, in the end, uh, my wife always likes to remind me and I remind myself that, you know, it, it really isn't about the, the zeros at the end of, of uh, that number that you have. And it really isn't about the money in the end. It's just about participating in something that is like bigger than yourself and it's it's truth it uh you know like like we will go on uh into more detail in in future episodes the characteristics of bitcoin um bring to um society uh unimaginable opportunities and uh you work constantly realizing those today and uh, so you know the benefits of being an early adopter so many things and just being part of like a revolutionary uh force like within the world i mean it's it's a very exciting time so yeah it's kind of my exciting. thoughts <laughs> yeah those are great thoughts i never thought about making the the comparison of like the biggest companies to bitcoin and knowing that bitcoin is the, the entire network of bitcoin um is worth less than some companies. It just like makes me realize like, wow, we're, we're so incredibly early. It's crazy. And it, you know, it also made me, I can't remember what movie it was. I wanted to say back to the future, but I'm not sure that's what it was, but someone goes back in time and then they see like uh, their friend who's a kid at that point. And they go back in time and they, they tell the kid, buy Yahoo shares as soon as they come out <laughs> or something like that. And it's like, it reminds me, it's like, that's the metaphor I use when I tell people like, start accumulating some Bitcoin right. and, you know, even going through bursting through these, uh, poor assumptions, like, Oh, it's too expensive. It's like $50,000. What do you mean by Bitcoin? You think I'm rich? It's like, well, no, 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 You can buy like $5 for the Bitcoin. Like I'll send you right. $2 right now. I'll show you what. And so even just bursting through those assumptions, cause I think people create these objections as ways to not really have to look into it. It's like, well, I'm kind of unsure. As soon as I hear something that seems like a, um, an obstacle, I'm just like, see, it's, it doesn't work or it's too expensive or whatever. And so we'll kind of work our way through those through all the episodes of School of Coin to really make it very accessible and put to rest a lot of the false assumptions that I think people are still making, which is stopping them from wanting to move forward and learning about this. And you know, one of the points that you, you touched on last there kind of brings us into our last point of how this is something bigger than any of us. And uh, this is something that is going to outlive all of us. And the last point of why I care about Bitcoin is just because it's like a beautiful, it's the most elegant and magical global unifying force, right? Like I can, you can find someone that has a completely different perspective on politics or on COVID or on whatever. And you can probably still agree that a fair monetary system is important and you can kind of anchor down on that point of agreement. Um, and I think that just a global, fair, transparent, honest monetary system that allows anyone to join it without permission, that gives everyone the ability to protect their wealth. Um, and like, that's pretty special stuff. And I think everyone agrees, you know, I think most people, regardless of what your position is on a lot of things that are dividing us right now, because there's like an unlimited amount of things that are being used to divide us uh, right now, like in September 26, 2021, I think as like a unifying force, like I think, you know, one of the shows on the STOA is going to be um, how do we coordinate our action? Right. Like we're going to have a lot of collective influence as Bitcoiners. And even that term Bitcoiner, like at the end of this, I'd like to ask you a couple of the questions that I want to ask a lot of the other guests that we have on the STOA. Um, 
the global political party of Bitcoiners will have the most influence on a global basis of any political party that's ever existed. Like our collective influence as time goes on and as, you know, fiat wealth is eroded and Bitcoin wealth increases, like that wealth transfer you talked about, um, we're going to have to coordinate and determine how we use that collective influence. And so what are your thoughts on Bitcoin as like a unifying force? And is that something that you think about or have had conversations about? Yeah, I, uh, I talk about, uh, so my partner, uh, my wife and I, Jessica, we talk about uh, Bitcoin a lot. Um, and I think That's it's awesome. great to, I mean, yeah, side note, it's awesome to have a partner that <laughs> also is into Bitcoin. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, really, that's kind of one of the things that we talk about the most. And I, and I know it's the most like philo philosophical kind of, um, you know, meta ideas. But uh, one of the things that I really, that really drew me to Bitcoin and drew my conviction uh, which does take time. And, and, you know, I think everybody builds their own conviction um, in time. But uh, I think, I think, I forgot who I was listening to. Maybe Max Kaiser was likening Bitcoin to peace and how Bitcoin brings peace to the world. And I started kind of just exploring that idea a little bit more, just kind of within myself. And, and, you know, kind of shadowing it against like the characteristics of Bitcoin that I had learned about and the history of money, you know, that we will talk about in future episodes and things like that. And, and it really um, is true. Um, I think that, you know, the power, you know, it kind of, um, well, what is that movie? I, I can't remember the name of that movie where everyone has the same mask. Um, Me for Vendetta. Right. Dude, I watched like, that four days ago for the first time ever. Oh, <laughs> like, why did it take me so long to watch this? It, it reminds me, it's like, you know, we, we don't realize that the power is in with ourselves. It is, it, it's, it is within, um, you know, identifying with humanity as a whole. Yeah. And, you know, for the longest time we've lived in this like dualist, you know, and, and, and I'm sure, you know, many things are still, you know, very uh, have have their duality to them. But yep. uh, Bitcoin is is a way to unify the globe uh, on a monetary scale. And the way that it that it came out, you know, where why we're at, we're at here. It's it's because of this like perfect accumulation of knowledge and these perfect like meeting of minds. I mean, it's, it's not something that uh, was created in a boardroom, you know, out of inspiration. I mean, this was like trial and error and, you know, many years of iterations of ideas working together that birthed this idea of Bitcoin. Yep. And uh, I think, you know, understanding that it just, uh, it really, it's like another way to, to, you know, I, you know, realize yourself and realize that, you know, everyone on this globe, uh, is, is the same as me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. And, you know, I think it was Knut von Holm that said, um, Bitcoin is not an innovation. It's a discovery and discoveries only happen once, right? Like Christopher Columbus, discovered the United States of America. You can't do that again. Like discoveries <laughs> happen once, right? And he combined the technology of a ship that can go through water along with probably a little bit of luck of being pointed in the right direction. Uh, and he discovered North America. And I think, I, I think that's how it works. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but, you know, Satoshi, um, the discovery of 
digital scarcity of finite digital scarcity only happens once you can't invent another bitcoin just like you can't find another north america like it can only be done once and he combined technologies that had been refined and and created by others and it was the combination surely com combined with a little bit of luck that he combined them in the right way to create bitcoin and um i think even just that there's so many mis misunderstandings associated with bitcoin and how it was created and what what is actually what is bitcoin like all the features that allow it to be something that is just this magical thing you know without getting too technical in school of coin we sh i hope we can do it justice and break down all the components at a fairly superficial level like so that like i said i'm the lens i'm going through with all this is like can my mom listen to this and understand it if not we're probably going too deep and we can we'll have deeper shows on on the stoa right like we'll have a, a show that's just technical where like i can where and I'm selfishly using that as a way to learn the technical things, right? Yeah. It's like it's like me learning Chinese. It's like I know nothing about it, but I want to speak with people who can teach it in a in a way that welcomes people. And that's one thing about the Bitcoin community, you know, th that gives me so much faith as Bitcoin as a unifying force, is because the community is so welcoming. Number one, like you want to learn about Bitcoin, you're probably going to find someone that would love to talk to you about Bitcoin. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> that's me. Um, but like so many people in the Bitcoin community are very welcoming to, they want to educate people. They want to help people understand this in their own way. Um, and also the amount of extremely smart humans. I've never seen a brain brain drain from all other realms of society into one project. Like I have witnessed with Bitcoin, like go where the smart people are going because so many, like it's, it's insane. The collective level of knowledge that is can be found in the Bitcoin community from all realms of, of, um, of the world, from all expertise. So it's a really cool space. And yeah, I think it is the most realistic and mo like the most relevant global unifying force because of the fact that money is the base layer of society. And so if the base layer, we can all agree on what we want and we can actually use something that is in existence now and, um, that's a pretty powerful thing. And I mean, we're not going to get away from the fact that wealth, monetary energy is a super powerful power lever in society, right? Like we're not going to be able to, if we can't, it's like the way I look at it is like, if we can't take money out of politics, well, why don't we create a better system of value driven money that can help drive politics in the right direction. Right. And I think that that's what Bitcoin is. It's like, we're going to have some serious influence based on the wealth we collect as a, as the Bitcoin network. And then we can then help steer, uh, you know, the fact that people go to Bitcoin because of a value set, we can then apply that value set to governance and create, uh, you know, on the Stoa website, it's like co-creating a Bitcoin future. Like a Bitcoin future is a reflection of Bitcoin, which is a value-based monetary system. And that's, that shit gives me hope. Like sometimes I just start to get a little bit overwhelmed and like, feel hopeless with all the crazy shit going on right now. And then I think of Bitcoin, I'm like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, 100% relate to that. <laughs> and people who don't understand Bitcoin are like, that's pretty naive, bro. I'm like, let's Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to school coin. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I'd like to finish with a couple of questions that I have on this list of, you know, I have Ruth, uh, who's another foot nerd who's doing support for the store and is kind of reaching out to people to schedule conversations. And, um, you know, one of the things I put together is a list of questions that I'd like to ask people um, that I'm not hearing being asked, but I think are very, uh, are questions that I'm interested in learning about people. 
And um, so I'd like to fire a few of those at you, Eddie, if you're cool with that. We'll do it like rapid fire so we won't go too deep into the answer. But uh, one of them is what's your current learning practice? Like when it comes to learning about Bitcoin, when do you do it? What's your favorite medium? Do you have people or resources that you're just like, that's my go-to? Like what's your Bitcoin learning practice like these days? Yeah, love it. Um, lately, it's been a little bit haphazard because I've been, I've been kind of going through a moving process and kind of settling into a new home. But yep. I would say primarily, I love to get Bitcoin in in the morning. That's when I that's when I really like to do a lot of my Bitcoin learning. Um, you know, when I'm not doing it all day, but mostly in the morning. <laughs> and uh, typically, you know, I I rely heavily on Twitter. And that is kind of like a self, you know, selected uh, basis of people that, uh, you know, individuals and companies that I like to follow, but mostly individuals. And then also um, YouTube just for the podcasts um, where I have, I would say I've had like the most of my learning is when you're listening and having mm -hmm. those huge realizations. Um, and uh, to just to top it off too, I, I uh, love buying Bitcoin books when I can. Um, and have a whole bunch of recommendations. If anyone is curious, um, feel free to reach out. So cool. Yeah. And we'll, like I said, those five learning protocols, level one, two, three, four, five, we'll kind of play some idea ping pong of like which book is best for which level. And basically just ask that question to so many Bitcoiners that we determine sort of the best book for each level. What's the bit, what's the book that you're reading right now? If there's anyone in particular that you're diving into. Uh, so right now, I'm, uh, I just finished a bullish, bullish case for Bitcoin, which nice. I got from Vijay Boyapati, which nice. is a good book. It's a fairly, um, I would say, higher level read and, and you know, again, something that I, that I would recommend. Um, but I'm starting up something that's a little, um, it's more focused on inflation. Um, and uh, it's by Jeff Booth. It's um, Inflation of Tomorrow. tomorrow price of tomorrow. And nice. uh, I'm actually just going to get that one started up. Uh, so I'm cool. excited for that, but it's very interrelated. So, yeah. Yeah. And I hope to have, uh, you know, I have this wish list of people in the Bitcoin space that <laughs> and it's like over a hundred right now. And surely we're not going to be able to get the interest of very many of them until we have, you know, at, at least an initial offering that people can see. And so VJ's on there. Jeff Booth is on there. I'm I have a connection with Greg Foss and he's good friends with Jeff. So I think I'll be able to get Jeff on and just talk about his book. Cause I've gone through the audiobook once and it's like, I kind of, usually what I do is I go through an audiobook once and I don't take notes. I just listen. And then I'll go through a second layer and take some notes and then go through a third layer and take a lot of notes. And I'm like scared to go through layer two. Cause I'm like, there's so much stuff in there. That was <laughs> when I listened to it, I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. So, so yeah, but I, I hope we can, yeah. uh, talk to i would love to talk to jeff eventually and i think we're, we've got an email going out in a couple of weeks and it'll probably take many emails to actually like lock these people down for a 90 minute conversation but i'm just going to be relentless so until we're told to stop emailing <laughs> to those listening we're going to keep emailing you until you're um <laughs> you know until you're curious as to like what do these people want <laughs> um, so another conversation or another question rather and this will be the last one then we'll wrap up this episode is you know, the term Bitcoiner um, gets thrown around quite a bit, like being a Bitcoiner, identifying as a Bitcoiner. And I don't know if you use that label or uh, embody it or apply it to yourself and your mental models, but like, if you do, what does a Bitcoiner mean to you? Like, what is the, someone says like, 
I want to be a Bitcoiner. What does that mean? What's the expectation? What, like, what is the criteria that I need to check off to say I am officially a Bitcoiner? And is there even a criteria? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's if there is a criteria out there, I would love to see somebody's. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, it's I very think, subjective. It's like health. Yeah. It's like, what does health mean to you? Well, yeah. it's completely up to you. And I don't think there is a right or wrong answer. But I think the more answers I hear, the more I'll kind of develop like a schema in my brain. Of like, this is what people seem to think being a Bitcoiner means. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do call myself a Bitcoiner and uh, I'm, you know, kind of... Uh, you know, encapsulating that activist mentality um, that, uh, you know, I've been reading about lately. Uh, I, I think it's important to, to be able to, you know, for me to do that. And um, what does it mean? It means that, that I evaluate my life and the circumstances of my life through a lens that, um, Maybe it could be somewhat scientific, you know, but uh, always, always kind of evaluating things in my life, um, seeking the truth in things and being able to verify things. It's like encapsulating these these characteristics of Bitcoin in my life and, uh, you know, taking responsibility for uh, my wealth, you know, being my own bank. Uh, and things like that, that, that to me is like what a Bitcoiner is. And like you said um, earlier, uh, it's, it's very true. I will attest that like the Bitcoin community is incredibly welcoming and they're incredibly informative and incredibly um, diverse from all different, yes. you know, uh, walks of life and different professions. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, you definitely define it yourself, but that's, that's my definition is the, the way that I um, walk through my life now is, is a Bitcoiner and it's through the lens uh, of Bitcoin. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, you went to the Bitcoin conference in 21. So it's like, I think you're a Bitcoiner if you go to that. That's definitely <laughs> like an overarching one. And I think what you said was like, uh, the word that I really liked that you said was activism, right? To be, a, to me, a Bitcoiner means doing more than simply acquiring and owning Bitcoin as an asset, right? Like actually wanting to have conversations with people or facilitating conversations or entertaining curious people about your perspective on Bitcoin. Um, I really recently fired up a full, a full node, which was like something on my list for a long time. I was awesome. intimidating. I was intimidated as shit by it because I tried it a couple of years ago and I was like, this is terrible. I need to know command line like no 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 this is not a me thing um wow. but i heard a podcast recently i think it was peter mccormick was talking about how the umbral experience was very straightforward and dude I, like it was a treat my mom can now i realize my mom can set up a node and it's like whoa that's an insanely different experience maybe umbral existed two years ago i didn't know about it but i did it and we'll do a whole podcast about setting up a node because i think when people understand what it like why bother is the first question to ask probably right right um but yeah, to me, it's just like someone who has a learning practice, who embodies the values of Bitcoin, who, own, who owns the asset, like who's part of the network, but is also doing a little bit more than just simply owning it. And, you know, like doing this podcast is, is a form of activism, a form of education. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to ask that to a lot of people because I think everyone's going to have their subjective answer. There's no right or wrong, but I think yeah. there's going to probably be a consensus of similar points that people will talk about. 
I wonder how many people will say you have to run a full node to be a Bitcoiner because I, I don't think that's actually the case, although it's easy as shit and we should yeah. probably all eventually <laughs> do it. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think having a set of those questions, you know, whether it's like, I got a bunch of them that I'm just super excited to ask people that I had, like I said, they're questions I haven't heard people answer like the beasts, like Preston Pish or Michael Saylor or, uh, you know, like Nick Sabo. Like I want to, this wish list I have is very uh, beyond <laughs> what we're going to be able to attain initially. But my hope is that eventually we can have conversations with these people and, uh, you know, just asking them like, what is the, when someone says, what's the culture of Bitcoin? What do you say? Or, you know, what excites you most about Bitcoin? And you and I will have plenty of chances to kind of riff on these. So I won't ask any more um, today, but I'm stoked to ask people those questions. Um, and our next episode that we're going to do together for School of Coin, Eddie and I, is going to be about culture, Bitcoin culture, Bitcoin terminology, because there's a lot of terms in Bitcoin that seem like very foreign, um, and some of them have fun uh, histories. And talking about the idea of Bitcoin elders, like who are the elders in Bitcoin? What does it mean to be an elder uh, in Bitcoin? And, you know, we're going to have a whole show called Elders, where we're just going to talk to some of the OG elders of Bitcoin uh, who are willing to pass on their wisdom. But thank you everyone uh, for listening and we will catch you in the next episode at the Bitcoin Stoa. And if you want to support the Stoa, go to the homepage, QR code is there. That's what funds our work. We're going to keep it that way um, for the community, by the community. I think that aligns with the ethos of Bitcoin. So we'll talk to you later, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the chat, Eddie. Thanks guys.